T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Tuesday, August 28th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we're going to speak with Max Rose. Max Rose is running for Congress in New York, and he's got, well, a day job. And he's also got that other job that so many of us know about. He is a member of the National Guard. Recently went on his two-week National Guard required uh, time during the campaign. It's pretty crazy. And Jake talked to him about, you know, what it's like having something so big going on in your life, but still taking time out for the duty that you have committed to. It's an interesting conversation and it's coming up in just a little bit. And then later on, Justin Brown of Hill Vets is going to call in. He's on the road down in Texas. He's going to join us to talk about the latest and greatest things taking place on Capitol Hill. And while Congress is uh, kind of slow right now, mostly because, well, they're not in Washington, D.C. for the most part, he had a sit down and not a short one, a pretty long one with the new secretary of the VA, Robert Wilkie. We'll talk to Justin about that, what his thoughts on uh, Secretary Wilkie are following that discussion. And now we'll have our own discussion on a number of topics. And for that, I welcome Jake Hughes onto the microphone. Jake, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Eric, how are you? I'm doing okay. Sat in a lot of traffic this morning. I know I've sat in traffic for a long time. When I get to work and my extra large coffee that I order, which is something like 40 ounces, is totally gone. And it was <laughs> before I got to the garage here. So, you know, one of those kinds of mornings. And uh, just to let people know, we've, uh, we were planning on doing it last week, but it fell through. There were some, uh, some timing issues and some cross signals. We're going to be speaking to Tim Kennedy on tomorrow's show. Of course, Tim is a former UFC fighter, a current Green Beret, and the host of Hard to Kill on the Discovery Network. He's done some other TV work, too, including that uh, Hunting Hitler show with uh, Dr. Mike Simpson and others, uh, another Green Beret. Green Beret, who's also an MD, so someone who is capable of nearly killing you, bringing you back to full health, and then killing you again. I'd like to talk to Dr. Simpson at some point, but we're going to talk to Tim about Hard to Kill. And in preparation for that last night, I rewatched all of the episodes of Hard to Kill. And I got to tell you, my favorite moments on those shows are the looks on his face repeatedly and recurrently when he realizes, oh, Oh, I thought I was out of my mind. No, no, these people are truly out of their minds. Like Alaskan bush pilots, where he had to had to go into uh, twenty degree water, which shuts your body down very quickly. Goes into this freezing cold water, and you see uh, a great example of it not mattering what great shape you're in. Doesn't matter how tough and hardcore you are. There's certain things that just nature's going to win, baby. Yep. And he deals with that. Uh, he also uh, recently watched a couple of the military ones. I watched all the episodes that have aired uh, up to last night. I uh, did one with uh, Marine Corps EOD technicians, which was uh, pretty fascinating, seeing how someone you would assume is in fantastic shape uh, and able to operate under the, uh, the, the worst conditions 
struggling when he put on that EOD bomb suit to do the uh, the tasks that he was assigned uh, that they do for training. Part of it is he's not used to it, of course. I'm sure he could get used to it and be trained up for it. But seeing someone that is in peak physical condition struggle, you realize uh, how much a normie like you or me would struggle <laughs> with it. We'd make it about three steps in that bomb suit before collapsing in a puddle on the ground. But we're going to talk to Tim about uh, the military connections too hard to kill, the interesting things he's learned about other parts of the service that you know he had never really experienced all that much before, whether it's EOD or Air Force fighter pilots. Uh, there's a lot going on, and we are going to talk to him about that on tomorrow's show. I'll actually be doing the interview uh, this afternoon. I'm going to stay late to do it because I'm looking forward to talking to him so much. We've talked to him a couple times before, uh, most recently about when he waterboarded himself on video on Instagram. Actually, didn't waterboard himself. Had his fellow uh, uh, Green Berets waterboard him just to show that he believed believes it's not torture. It was an interesting conversation, of course. Most conversations with the guy are, and we'll have another one coming your way tomorrow. Taking a look around the world of news, there is uh, something going on out there, Jake, that I just keep seeing these words uh, that frustrate and irritate me in the veteran community, and those words are fraud and hijacked and Money basically being taken away from people. There's a story by Jonathan Copanger, our Jonathan Copanger. He used to work at the VA and now works for ConnectingVets.com with the headline, Veteran Family of Five Has Disability Check Hijacked. It's the story of Army vet Keith Terry. He has PTSD, can't work. He's relied on his VA disability check to support his family for almost 17 years. This month, the nearly $4,000 check is being deposited into a checking account, as usual, but there's an unusual part to it, Jake. It's not his checking account. They recently got an email, Nicole and Keith Terry did, explaining that their e-benefits password, that's the website you log on to manage your VA benefits, had changed. Now, they hadn't changed any information at the site, so they thought it was fake or a scam or something like that. So they did what you should do. They called the number on the website to see what was going on and found that someone had gotten into their e-benefits account and changed the, the information and changed the routing number and everything. So now their monthly disability check was going into whoever this hacker's uh, person is. It's going into their bank account. Can you imagine? I mean, that when that's basically how you're living, that's the money that you're living off of every month. And $4,000, let's be honest, that's not a lot. That's like $48,000 a year or something like that. So it's not a, not a huge amount of money. It's enough to get by depending on where you live, I suppose. But Getting an email and thinking, oh, no, this is another one of those little screw-ups where we forgot to change our password or whatever, and now we got to go in there and do it. Finding out that somebody actually went in there and changed your information, changed the phone numbers, the banking information, and all that stuff. How do you even react to something like that? I would be indescribably mad mm. because, I mean, like, especially with me, like if someone did it to me, it's like I need that money. And so, especially this, a wounded veteran who can't work, it's just like, people are such scumbags sometimes. They are. And then you have, of course, the secondary issue here. Primary issue is someone hacking into your account, stealing your money. That's that's theft. That's grand theft, I believe, at that point. That's, that's a felony. Um, and uh, doing it with false information on a federal, uh, to a federal organization through a federal website, I think would probably bring even more charges if they're able to locate who this person is. Here's the secondary problem, Jake. 
contacted the VA. The VA said, yep, you've been hacked. Uh, we can fix that. They work with the family, change the password, get everything set up, change the, uh, quite, you know, you have to ask the question, like, what street did you grow up on and blah, blah, blah. That's not a good one to use, by the way, which street you grew up on. Because you know what, Jake? If I did like a credit check of you, it's going to show all your previous addresses. And I'll just go back to the earliest one on that list. Type that one in. There's a good chance I've got it. So you want to use questions that aren't as easily uh, locatable and verifiable for other people. It's, uh, it's something that you don't think about, but you need to think about. The secondary problem is this, that according to Keith, what he tells us so the VA is pretty much saying, hey, your your problem. You got to deal with this. Like we helped you fix the account, but you have to uh, figure out what you're going to do here. They say they're investigating it, but that doesn't do anything is the quote. I asked them how I'm going to feed my family and they gave me some phone numbers and that ain't beep either. So he's clearly not happy about this. I mean, this is... I, that's that's the money you're making. Imagine if your paycheck, imagine if you pick up a paycheck every week at your job and you show up and they go, oh no, somebody else had an ID with your name on it and they took your paycheck. Sorry. What do you, what, what do you, what do you want us to do? We gave the money. We just gave it to the wrong person, but we thought it was the right person. So not our problem. We're washing our hands of it. That is uh, not good. But a VA spokesperson said that on occasion they've learned of individual accounts that have been fraudulently accessed according to va so far in 2018 870 accounts have been compromised and that's something that's uh it's a big number it's not a huge number considering how many accounts there are about 7.3 million according to the va so 800 out of 7.3 million pretty good number actually uh, considering how much fraud and hacking and all that stuff and account theft there is that goes on out there doesn't matter for those 800 plus people they don't have their benefits coming in the way that they're supposed to. That can also have uh, other problems. If the person changed the address on it, then guess what? Any refill, uh, prescription refills or anything that gets sent to you through the mailing system, they're not going to be making it to you. That can cost you your life if you don't catch it fast enough. You know, it's one of those problems that just snowballs. Uh, but there is something that you can do if you think that you've been scammed or if you're a caretaker for someone who thinks uh, and you think they've been scammed, you can contact the VA's identity safety service. Uh, there's a phone number for them. It's 855-578-5492, Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And they do have a, a email address where you can contact them, and it's vaidtheft at va.gov. But you definitely want to uh, to look into it. And it's something where it's not a bad idea to change your password every so often. You know how at work, and when you were in the military, every, what was it, four months or something like that, you get a message, your password's about to expire, change it in three days. There's a reason that they do that, that the IT professionals force you to do that at your professional uh, location. You should do it in your personal time, too. It's a really good idea to keep those passwords up to date. Just because it hasn't been hacked up to this point doesn't mean that it can't be. Uh, and you want to, again, keep track of that, particularly if, like for the Terrys, it's your main source of income. Because if that $4,000 a month goes away for them, what are they going to do? You know, it's a family of five. You got the two parents, you got three kids, $4,000 is what's keeping them afloat. And now it's not coming in. One month of your, your income not coming in can be a significant issue. Hopefully you have some savings or something that you can do to get by with that. But if you don't, what are you going to do? You know, it's a bad situation. One that uh, I wish nobody had to deal with. And it sounds like 
a small percent, you know, a fraction of a percent of the VA e-benefits users are dealing with this at this current time, 800 or so this year so far. It's about 100 a month when you're talking about 7.3 million accounts. That's a good percentage, but we need it to be closer to zero and get it down there. Uh, just one of those things I don't like reading about, but it's something that we do read about a little bit too often. Here's another interesting one. This was a story that uh, made headlines back in October when a homeless Marine veteran used his last $20 to help a woman who had run out of gas. Essentially gave her the only money that he had, a guy living out on the streets. It was near Philadelphia, an off-ramp off of uh, like 95 or something. Gave her the money, and Johnny Bobbitt Jr. is his name. And the family uh, apparently said that they were going, or well, family. It's a woman and her boyfriend. Her name is Kate McClure and uh, her boyfriend, whose name I don't have. So they started a GoFundMe account for the guy. They said, hey, this guy really saved us, and we want to help him out now. He's a Marine Corps veteran living on the street. The GoFundMe campaign was very successful, Jake. About $402,000 were raised through that campaign. It's a pretty good return on a $20 investment for that homeless Marine, Johnny <laughs> Bobbitt Jr. Here's the thing, though. According to CBS, Kate McClure and that boyfriend, Mark D'Amico is his name, they have control over the funds and apparently may have been using them for things other than helping that Marine. Things like vacations, new BMW, helicopter ride over the Grand Canyon, all those things. So they said they were raising the money for this guy, but it doesn't look like it. The local CBS affiliate in Philadelphia is reporting that this is not a good situation. The guy doesn't have access to the funds. The lawyer for that homeless Marine, who you got to assume is working pro bono because, again, he doesn't have any money. The GoFundMe account raised over $400,000, and GoFundMe charged a fee of approximately $30,000. So the, the couple, Mark D'Amico and Kate McClure, gave the homeless Marine about $75,000. So there should be another $300,000 or so available. That's what the lawyer's saying to the media. He told that to CNN. But that $300,000... Not available to him. He has no access to it. Uh, the the gentleman in the cuppy, in the couple, and I use that term very loosely when I say gentleman, Mark D'Amico uh, says that he used $500 from the account to gamble but repaid the money quickly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know about that, but the family, or family, I keep saying family. They're a couple. It's a boyfriend and girlfriend. Kate McClure told the Philadelphia Inquirer newspaper, the couple is withholding the rest of the money until that homeless Marine is drug free and they haven't responded publicly to the allegations other than that, saying that, you know, hey, if he's using drugs and we give him all this money, the money's going to be gone. He's still going to be homeless. That's a valid thing. But the reports from CBS that they're spending the money to fly over the Grand Canyon and get a new BMW, uh, that is not a good thing. GoFundMe apparently is also getting involved. Marine Corps Times is reporting that if the claims of mismanagement from Bobbitt and his lawyer prove to be true, it would be the biggest case of GoFundMe fraud seen by whistleblower group GoFraudMe. The Washington Post is also reporting that. Here's the good thing about this story, I think. And you may have noticed in there, I cited CBS, CNN, Marine Corps Times, the Washington Post, the Philadelphia Inquirer. This is getting attention, and it's getting media attention. 
Because this is, you know, a fraud case like this, like look at the one with the Terry's where they had their account hacked. It may not be three hundred or $400,000 and it may not be a viral story sensation that it took place on, but this stuff is taking place regularly. And in the world of these GoFundMe and Kickstarter campaigns, you've got to think it's happening more often than we are even aware. How many things are people donating to or giving to and getting not the money's not going where they thought it was. It's not being used to create what they thought it was in the case of Kickstarter and all that stuff. You know what I mean? I think yeah. there's probably a lot of this going on out there. You're heavily invested in the video game world. I know there have been tons of stories in, in regards to people trying to fund, you know, the creation of video games and then the games never, never turn out. Well, where'd the money go? I mean, this is, it's a problem with these websites. Yeah, it is. And the good thing about it is certain, some of the websites are starting to do a thing where you don't spend any money until the goal is met. Yeah. So like if I give $5 and they have a goal of a hundred thousand until they make a hundred thousand, I don't pay anything. So certain steps are being taken, but you're right. There is a lot of fraud. And it just goes to show that, uh, again, people can be scumbags. Yeah. Like, you're raising for this homeless veteran. Does it even, does the report even say if he does use drugs? Well, here's here's the thing. It doesn't, and that's something that I'd like to see in there. It, it, he did apparently have a drug problem. It's part of what led to his homelessness. Here's the thing that does raise a red flag on the side of, of, of him and, and, and what may be going on here that may point to some part of what they're saying being true. Regardless, they need to address the allegations of the BMW, the vacations, and the uh, Grand Canyon helicopter ride. He's back on the streets in Philadelphia. According to one of his lawyers, uh, Jacqueline Promislo, she told CNN he's back living on the streets of Philadelphia. He's been given 75000 of the $300,000. Why is he still living on the streets? That's a question that I would have there. $75,000. Yeah, Philadelphia is an expensive city. Trust me, I'm from the Northeast. I know that the cost of living up there is significantly higher than pretty much anywhere else in the country with uh, some exceptions in California and so on. Uh, Washington, D.C., for example, is just as expensive uh, as New York City in many cases. The, the issue is if he was given... $75,000, you could live off of that for a couple of years in Philadelphia if you plan properly, if you don't live beyond your means. You get a small apartment. You don't even need a vehicle. Philadelphia has public transportation. They got a little miniature subway system up there, a couple trains. I mean, th there are ways to get around. When you've got that, then you can start looking for work. You can, you can buy food. I mean, $75,000 at a bare minimum would allow you to live for one year in, in relative comfort why is he still on the streets if he did get $75,000? That is a good point. It's a question that you have to ask. And it's it's not a comfortable question because you want to say, you know, this Marine, those $400,000 were for this Marine. But there may be something to the couple saying, well, we're not going to give him the rest of the money because we know what's going to happen to it. If you've seen the $75,000 already disappear, which it appears to, because he's, again, homeless on the streets in Philadelphia. And... While I'd like to see every veteran who's homeless have a place to live, have a place to go, whether they are, you know, the prototypical vet like Bobbitt that you think of living literally out on the streets, just kind of the bedraggled old veteran, or whether it's a, a mother and children who are couch surfing from family to family, friend to friend, staying in shelters, things like that. I'd like to see all of them have a place to go, but there is going to be a percentage that unless they receive significant mental health care significant medical care in regards to addiction and things like that, they're not going to, to last very long in those places. It's not just finding a house. Most people 
who end up in a situation like Bobbitt. I'm not saying people who end up having to stay with friends because they lost their house because, you know, they lost their job and things can snowball that way. But when it comes to this form of homelessness where someone is literally living out on the streets because of drug addiction, because of mental health issues. If you don't address the underlying issues of the addiction, the mental health and so on, that person's just going to keep ending up there. And it, I don't think it matters where you are. I don't think it matters if you're in a place with a small population, like let's say Iceland, someplace where I was stationed. Small population, really uh, uh, nationalized uh, care services. So pretty much everything's free for you when it comes to mental health care, medical care and things like that. Guess what? There's still homeless people there. There, there are always going to be a percentage of people that just don't operate properly to get there without significant help and having to go for the help. And with this guy getting the $75,000 that his people have, have said he has this, get, received this $75,000, wh- why is he living on the streets then? I mean, is, does he, is he walking around with a bag with cash in it? I would assume not. That's a recipe for disaster in any city and in any homeless community. People are going to find out about that. It does make one wonder, well, did he already blow that $75,000? And then if he did, is there something to what the couple is saying about not giving him the rest of the money until he's drug-free? It may not be a pleasant thing. It may not be the nicest thing. But there may be something to what they're saying. Again, though, that still doesn't address the allegations of buying a BMW, going on a vacation, taking a helicopter trip over the Grand Canyon. They have to be able to uh, validate where the money for that came from. I don't know what these people do for a living. Uh, Ten, well, see, that's the thing. Technically, they don't have to. Well, yeah. Well, uh, well, according to GoFundMe, uh, GoFundMe's statement uh, to uh, the press, I think they gave to Marine Corps Times, when there's a, d- a dispute, we work with all parties involved to ensure funds go to the right place. We will work to ensure that Johnny receives the help he deserves and that the donor's intentions are honored. So, there. I mean, legally, I don't know. He's got two lawyers working on this, but... It seems like they're 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 probably going to have some trouble figuring out exactly where that money went. Can they even explain where all the money went, or is it all still there? the The things here that stick out to me: the guy admitted to using five hundred dollars for gambling and said he put it right back in. Well, okay, why'd you take five hundred dollars out? Though the fact that he admitted to that that may lead you to believe that there might be something to it that he may be. You know, honest about it. Like, hey, we screwed up in this one instance, but the rest of it is still there. I don't know what their jobs are. I don't know what uh, what Miss McRae and Mr. D'Amico's jobs are. Maybe they can afford. Maybe they can afford uh, a new BMW. I could probably go get a new BMW today with my savings and all that stuff if I wanted to. I could probably go on a trip right now. Are they assuming that they're using those funds for it, or is there any proof? I mean, do these people... They have jobs, apparently. They're doing something. So, you know, I don't know. It's one of those stories that at face value, you get angry about it, and there may be a very good reason to be angry about it. But then when you start seeing those red flags like, well, he was already given $75,000, and that's apparently already gone because he's back on the streets, and this was less than a year ago that the the thing happened and the, the GoFundMe account was within the next couple of months. Let's say by December 2018, they'd raised most of those funds. Eight months, you go through $75,000. Come on. How how does that happen? And again, I don't I don't know. It's it's a tough one. Now, I do have these red flags in my head also for all these Kickstarter GoFundMe websites because you wonder, how do you prove where it's going? How do you prove who's getting the money? How do you prove how much of that money goes to that person? All we have is his lawyer saying one thing, 
the couple saying not much other than yes, we use five hundred dollars for gambling, but we put it back in. They haven't addressed the uh, the vacation things and all that stuff. You know, is it as simple as the lawyers looking on Facebook and going, "Oh, look, they got a new car. They must have used that money." You don't know that. You don't know that. So it's it's a story that even as we've talked through it here, it's kind of changed a little bit in my yeah. mind. Where I started off like, "Oh man, you know, they they ripped off this guy. Didn't rip him off, but they fraudulently claimed that they were helping him, and then now they're not." Well, they did give him seventy five thousand dollars. Maybe that was intentional too, not giving it all to him at once, so that he wasn't able to blow through all of that money immediately. It's uh, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on this and see exactly where it goes. But again, the red flags are GoFundMe. How do you know the money's going where it's supposed to go? Seventy-five thousand out of four hundred plus given to the guy, and that's apparently already gone because he's back living on the streets of Philadelphia. See, I wonder about that because that's what like eight thousand dollars a month. About yeah, pretty close right to that, about, like eight and a half. You have to work to spend eight thousand dollars a month. Oh, I could do it. I mean, I could do it too. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that, like, I mean, if you're homeless, you would think the first order of business: try to find some place to live, not too expensive. Find a small one-bedroom apartment someplace so that you're off the streets. Pay your utilities. Pay for food. I, you know, hopefully that's going to cost you somewhere around like fifteen hundred to two thousand a month. Yes, Philadelphia is expensive. There are less expensive places that may not be the greatest place to live, but it's a lot better than living on the streets out in the Philadelphia winter. It's interesting stuff. We'll be keeping an eye on it, and we'll be keeping an eye on so much more here on the morning briefing every Monday through Friday from eight fifteen a.m. On until about 9.45 a.m. every morning. (laughs) Today, we've got some great interviews coming up with Max Rose. He is running for Congress in New York's 11th District. He's also serving in the National Guard and left on his two-week National Guard training period in the middle of the campaign. Jake talked to him about all of that. That's coming up next. And then Justin Brown of Hill Vets will be calling in from Texas, Jake's home state, to talk to us about the latest goings-on with his organization, including a 45-minute one-on-one sit-down with Secretary of the VA, Robert Wilkie. Morning Briefing with Eric Dame and Jake Hughes, back after this. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the morning briefing here on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every single day. I'm super producer Jake Hughes sitting in the driver's seat, and I'm going to remind you, and I'm going to keep reminding you until you do it, to check out the website, ConnectingVets.com, your one-stop shop for all things veteran and military-related. And to make sure you're up to date on the latest happenings, follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us because we stay on top of that stuff because we care about the veteran community. Everyone here at ConnectingVets.com is a veteran or a currently serving National Guardsman. So we know what you care about. We know what you need to know. And we make sure you're up to date on the latest and greatest. So make sure you check us out. Our next guest is running for Congress in New York's 11th District. He's also currently serving in the National Guard, and a couple weeks ago, he did something rather incredible that you wouldn't think a politician would do. He took two weeks off the campaign trail to go participate in his unit's annual training. That is some fantastic stuff, and we're joined by a fantastic guy, Mr. Max Rose. Max, how are you doing today? 
Hey, thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. So we'll get into the nitty-gritty about the politics and stuff a little bit later. Let's start off with something basic. Tell us just your story, where you came from, how you came to join the military, what you did in active duty, and what you're still doing now in the National Guard. Yeah, of course. You know, I enlisted in the military actually after I got home from grad school. And yeah, I know you're very well familiar with uh, the training process. I went the officer candidate school route. So I was, I was living on uh, Just missed you. We found out before <laughs> even you started. But uh, went to basic training in an officer candidate school, an infantry basic officer leadership course, and then ranger school. I took my time at ranger school for, for all of the listeners who are familiar with this. I, uh, I recycled a fair amount. But thankfully, got my tab. And uh, to tell you the truth, man, I came from New York, and you hear just the most interesting things when you decide to join the military. Everyone was saying that it was rather elitist in nature. Oh, my God, Max, you're going to be the smartest one in the room. You're doing them such a favor. They're a bunch of dumb, poor kids. And when I enlisted, I, I was just stunned by the fact that I was the dumbest guy in the room. Every single day of basic training, I couldn't put together a weapon. I'd never held a compass a day in my life. And still to this day, as a company commander in the National Guard, I am absolutely amazed and in awe of the young men and women who put our nation's uniform on, their unbelievable uh, resiliency and intelligence. And it's for the uh, large part why I'm doing this is because you you get thanked for your service wherever you go. I get thanked. Uh, millions of soldiers get thanked, and that's a... A good thing we never want to go back to those days of the Vietnam War again, where soldiers are spit upon, but I actually think just thanking these soldiers is not enough. Um, it's, in fact, become a bit patronizing. Um, we actually should, especially in the halls of Congress, seek to emulate their selflessness and their selfless sacrifice. And I hope to uh, play a, a small part in making that change as a member of the United States Congress. Yeah, you almost answered my question, but I want to know, because you're in the military, you're in the National Guard, and the military is a largely apolitical organization. We don't really care who's in charge, we just follow the orders of the commander-in-chief. So, what made you want to dive into the somewhat hairy world of politics? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny, because I was, as you mentioned, I was just at this annual training, and we were building up to a squad live fire, and my guy successfully did it. Day, day live fire, night live fire. And at one point, it's about two in the morning, you know, I have my nod time. I take a step back and I go, oh my God, this is so beautiful. We're shooting in one direction. The enemy is in one direction. Uh, now you go back to politics and shots are being fired from all around you. It's, 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 definitely, a, it's, definitely, it's definitely a different ball game. But I consider the, the reasons why I'm running to be exactly the same as why I not only put on my nation's uniform, but continue to do it, which is that I refuse to sit on the sidelines. Um, what I have done in the military pales in comparison to the stories of so many soldiers, especially post-9-11 combat soldiers, and many of these folks, I know these are not new stories to you either, four, five, six deployments, kids who are 10 or 12 years old, and they've spent more time at war than they have with their families. Um, We've asked an unbelievable amount of these gen this generation of soldiers, and they've done it without asking for anything in return. Uh, and I think it's awfully pitiful that we thank them 
but we can't pass a budget uh, on a regular basis. We we love to thank them and kiss their ass and give them you know specials at Applebee's on Veterans Day, but we can't plan strategically for uh, the defense threats and the economic challenges of the 21st century. So it's uh, it's no longer cute. We we can do better. We have to do better. We've seen better. And I think with this new crop of congressional candidates, we're not only going to have a new generation of leadership, but we're going to get back to business. We're going to focus on the country, not our own selfish political concerns. Okay. Now, we've talked to uh, other veterans who are running for Congress. Uh, a couple months ago, we talked to uh, Dan Crenshaw, who's running for Congress down in my hometown in Houston, Texas. And we've, seen, yeah, we've seen more and more. There are currently uh, people serving in Congress that are veterans, yeah. like, obviously, Senator Timmy Duckworth. Uh, why do you think we're seeing this, in, this surge in veterans getting involved in politics? I think they've had enough. We've had enough. It is year after year after year, we keep talking about the same problems. None of them are new. It's gun violence. It's massive public health crises like the opioid epidemic, you know, uh, absolute constant instances of corruption. And even when it doesn't make the news, politicians on both sides of the aisle are getting bought off. We have stagnating wages, an economy where the middle class is shrinking. We have 6 million, 7 million open jobs that cannot be filled because we don't have the the trained workers to fill them. And in the face of this, we see a political class that cares more, and I genuinely believe this, they care more about going on Fox News or MSNBC than they do about fixing problems. I genuinely believe that members on both sides of the aisle care more about winning the next election than they do about actually fixing something. And I think across the board, veterans on both sides of the aisle are saying enough is enough. And it's not just vets, though. It's public servants. We have great uh, people who served in the CIA, in the State Department, in the Peace Corps, uh, teachers, firefighters, cops. People who have lived a life of public service are now saying, I am no longer going to sit on the sidelines. We can do better than this. So I'm incredibly excited, incredibly optimistic about this development. I'm really, I feel very privileged and honored to be a part of it. That's amazing. I, I can feel your passion. You, 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 you know, I'm a drill sergeant. I'm used to motivating people, but you're starting to motivate me here. This is amazing. So, yeah, uh, you drill sergeants scare the shit out of me. I'm, <laughs> I'm just trying to do my best here. Well, you're doing a fantastic job. So, um, I want to ask your opinion on something real quick. And it, I, I hear at ConnectingBest.com, we try to remain apolitical, but something happened about a month or so ago that I feel was just dirty pool, and I want to ask your opinion. Uh, you probably heard about this. A uh, GOP Senate hopeful and Marine Corps vet, Kevin Nicholson, who's running, I believe, in California, uh, made a statement saying that veterans who are, quote, in their right minds can't be Democrats. And I know you're running as a Democrat. So I was just wondering what you think about that statement. What what, what would you say back to Mr. Nicholson? Uh, that was just such a pitiful remark. But in this day and age, what these politicians do, and he is the worst example of it, is they say extreme things so they can stay in the bloodstream, so that people will keep on talking about them. It's almost like it doesn't matter how ridiculous your comment is. It just matters if people are mentioning your name. So I'm not going to do this by the service of giving that any further commentary. I'll only say it's not only 
pitiful, but um, he doesn't stand a chance of having a political future being such an idiot. (laughs) All right, that's plenty enough. So what I want to know is exactly what do you hope to accomplish in Congress? Like, let's say you win the election, you're now Congressman Max Rose from New York. What are going to be the couple first things that you tackle as a member of the United States House of Representatives? Yeah, so, you know, when you look at the problems that people in my district face, it is incredibly stark. We have a traffic nightmare. We have some of the longest commuting times of anybody in the country. It's often two hours for some people, depending on where you live in the district. So I think we need an incredible investment in the transportation options. Uh, One is, you know, expanded ferry service, expanded roads, bus rapid transit, light rails, uh, massive investments in in our subway system. It's, it's quite pitiful. It's, it's a disgrace. Uh, we need a 21st Century Interstate Highway Act. We need those types of investments rather than giving a billion dollars to wealthy people, multinational corporations that not only needed the money but never even asked for it, at least publicly. Uh, I've got hundreds of people dying in my district from, from overdoses from the opioid epidemic. Again, we need a real significant investment in treatment and education and law enforcement to combat the root causes. Of this, uh, of this epidemic, people are dying. People are afraid. You know, another public health crisis, gun violence. And the AR-15 should never be sold in this country ever again. We need universal background checks. But all of these things are very easy to say. I, I think, it, it, and we, we stand no chance of actually solving these problems for the long term, though, if we do not change the fundamental character and nature of the political class. And that has to begin with getting big money out of politics. You know, I'm not taking a cent from corporate PACs. I'm not taking a cent from federal lobbyists. In fact, we had realized uh, how disgusting the role of lobbyists is in, in congressional politics, and we decided to turn return any money that we've received from federal lobbyists back. Um, we, we took it just under $5,000, and we're giving it all back to a charity that builds homes for veterans. So um, we've got to fix this. Uh, we, we have to start electing people who mean what they say and then actually act accordingly. They don't just make false promises anymore. And I intend on being that type of elected official, not just in 2019, but for many years to come. Okay. Uh, I have one more question about the sort of the partisan a- angle of it, because I'm curious, because you're running, and I'm, I'm looking at a website called Ballotpedia, which is a very good resource for people running for Congress, and the, the, the congressional district you're running for has been traditionally been a red seat, a more Republican seat, so how do you, what do you offer that your opponent doesn't? Why should people turn to you instead of him? Yeah, well, first of all, I reject the idea that I'm running in a crimson red Republican district. If you look at the stats on the ground, we have five registered Democrats for every three registered Republicans, just as many locally elected Democrats as locally elected Republicans. The district voted for Barack Obama in 2012 and then, yes, Donald Trump in 2016. So what we find in New York's 11th congressional district is that this is a district that votes for the person, not the party. And they are rightfully disgusted with the actions of both political parties over the course of a generation. I'll give you one example of this. You know, Democrats and Republicans alike have propped up the carried interest loophole as a result of both of their actions. That a hedge fund manager today pays a lower tax rate than a cop, a fireman, a teacher, or, or a vet in many instances. So people want new generations of leadership 
on both sides of the aisle, and, and that's what they're deserving of. And that's certainly not what they're getting in Dan Donovan, my opponent. And I'll, I'll give you one great example of that. Dan Donovan has been a public figure now for nearly 30 years. He was the district attorney in Staten Island for many years, and now he's been in Congress. And his, despite the, those years in office, his signature legislative proposal has been to put a picture of the president in every single post office in America. That's, his, that's what he has to hang his hat on. Nothing about the opioid epidemic, nothing about commuting time, nothing about gun violence, nothing about cost of living. No, a picture of the president. Now, he did this during his primary when he was sucking up to the White House because he needed Donald Trump to win his primary. But that type of record uh, is not enough. And uh, we will certainly uh, make people aware of that with this campaign. Okay. <clears throat> now, I want, there's been a lot of action in recent months and in the past year or so for veterans in Congress. And I want to ask your opinion on some of these things. Uh, first of all, I want to know, are you aware of the situation with the Vietnam Blue Water Navy vets? This is vets that served in Vietnam but were in deep waters but who were still exposed to Agent Orange and we're trying to get them benefits. What is your yes. opinion on this so far? Uh, my, my, my opinion is, is that the, the science is clear. That people in all different uh, service roles during the Vietnam War were exposed to Agent Orange. And uh, if they are showing these symptoms of such, they've already served this country and risked their lives and are suffering. We should not put up additional roadblocks to them. Okay. Now, recently was passed uh, the Mission Act, which is a sweeping, some sweeping VA reforms that was just recently passed, but we've talked to several VSOs like the VFW and the American Legion, and they've said that it's going to take a while before we see how these changes manifest in the VA. So let me ask you this. The big debate with the VA going on so far has been the privatization versus not privatization. I want to know where you stand on that and what your opinion is on the VA moving forward. What should its role be for veterans? So there, there, there's a much larger issue here because I, I believe that we are playing into the far right uh, narrative, which is that they starve a public institution like the VA of funds for a generation, and then they take a step back and uh, in unbelievably transparent hypocrisy then say, oh my God, here's an instance of government failure. We've got to privatize this entity and its services. And so then it leaves us in this situation where, uh, as the first post 9-11 combat veteran to ever run for office in New York City history, I will not rest until every veteran gets the service he or she needs, and it's clear as day now that that has to involve some type of opportunity to go into the private sector because the wait times can be too long, or you can live in areas where you don't have access. So, of course, I am in favor of that, but that is not an excuse for not having funded the VA for so long. So there's an incredible cost to war, and it is one that is not discounted, I mean, accounted for. I think that the war in Iraq, the invasion of Iraq, was the most egregious foreign policy mistake ever made by a president of the United States. And we are still paying the cost of it, and we have to. So it's that, that requires massive public investment, and it's one that I, I don't believe that we have seen yet, but it's one that we are obligated to make. Okay. 
now, a big news item that came out just about a week or so ago is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau that they're uh, they're no longer going to be monitoring the loans that are offered to veterans and military members. I mean, they're more likely to fall victim to predatory loan practices. I mean, I guess I don't have to ask your opinion on this, but I want to know what would you do about it? Yeah, well, this is what happens when we elect people on both sides of the aisle who have never served, who are at one of the lowest points in our nation's history of the number of vets in office. You know, I was a platoon leader, now I'm a company commander. You see that there are multi-billion dollar industries that have cropped up, often just outside of uh, military bases, that uh, their entire business model is to take advantage of soldiers. Uh, you know, all too often, you know, and I'm sure you've been in this position, you've got to send that squad leader out with, with uh, a private when he wants to buy his first car. These are kids who have left their families and maybe never even had real families growing up, and, and we, we have to help them make smart financial decisions, but the least that they are owed is to have a governmental process and institution in place to also protect them. So the left hand's not talking to the right one. It's blatant hypocrisy. This administration, this Republican Party, loves to pound their chest, even though they're filled with a bunch of war dodgers often, to, to say that they protect veterans. But um, then they do things like this, and it's utterly disgusting. Utterly disgusting, and uh, it, this will be a, a real priority of mine to roll this decision back. Yeah, and I agree with you, because, I mean, when I was a young, you know, uh E5, E6 in the military. And uh, you go, like you said, you go around any military base, you're going to see payday loans. You're going to see car, you know, car sales places that offer like 28% interest so at like five, $600 a month for payments. And my rule when I was a young uh, gunner and a squad leader was I said, if you're going to spend more than half your base pay, you have to come with me and I have to go with you. Because because yeah, you're, you're right, because these young young soldiers, they're 18, 19 years old. They've never left home. They probably never had any money in their pocket. And now they have this money. They need the guidance. And if the and if it should, I'm not going to, I need to take a step back here. I'm getting heated up. <laughs> but, no, no, look, I, I mean, you know, I can't tell you how many instances of when you know, Joe comes back and he just bought a pickup truck, 25% interest rate. Uh, bought a house or it, it, it's time and again we you feel like you're uh, pushing a rock uphill here um, and uh, I, I thought that this was clear as day I thought that this was there was a bipartisan consensus around this that we need to protect soldiers from things like this and it, it's not trivial this is a national security issue because you and I both know as well that, that when that saw gunner has financial issues now as a consequence of having been taken advantage of, he's not ready to go downrange. She's not ready to go downrange. And we owe it to them. Our units need that. And I, I'm just flabbergasted that this is happening. Right. And, and I agree. And it's one of those things where I have no idea how exactly it went through, but politics is a fickle beast. So. Now, there's another yeah. issue going on. Well, wait, 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 just, just one point here. We do, we do know how it went through. It went through because politicians are getting bought off. It went through because of the massive amounts of corporate money and lobbyist money in politics, both on the home side 
and the soft side. And what they're relying on, on is that maybe there might be a day or two of anger, but then we'll get lost on some other issue, some other shiny object. And I think it's incumbent upon both people running for office as well as folks like yourself to make it known that not only are we going to speak about this issue, but when you seek to take advantage of service members, there are consequences for this at the ballot box. You are legitimately going to get voted out of office or something like this. So that's how it happened, but that's what we're going to do as a result. Okay. Now, there's another issue that you brought up to my mind, which to me doesn't make sense. It has to do with BAH rates for New York when you're using the GI Bill. Could you explain this issue and exactly what it is going on? I'll tell you, this is unbelievable. So any any vet knows that the GI Bill has been one of the most fantastic legislative achievements of the 21st century. And anybody who gets out after having done a certain number of years of active duty service, if not only tuition provided for a certain level of tuition, but also as a basic housing allowance. Now, New York City is a large place, five boroughs, and it turns out that there's a different basic housing allowance for different boroughs. And Staten Island's basic housing allowance is that now informs is probably like a, a large percentage of my district, Staten Island's basic housing allowance is much lower than that of other uh, boroughs. And so what we find is that uh, Staten Island, a place that's incredibly hospitable to vets um, and wants to be a real magnet for post-9-11 combat vets t- coming home, um, they, there's this massive disincentive built in. Even if they're living on Staten Island, they don't want to go to school on Staten Island because they know that they're going to take a hit. So this is something that my opponent, Dan Donovan, he embraced this issue. He said, I'm going to do something about it, and he got a, a very, very minimal increase in the VAH. Very minimal. We need it equalized so that people can go to school where they live and potentially even build not only their homes and their families on Staten Island, but also their careers. And it's something that I'm really intent on uh, changing as a member of Congress. All right. So we've been speaking with Max Rose, who is running for Congress in New York's 11th district. That covers parts of Staten Island and what else? Uh, South Brooklyn. South Bay Brooklyn. Ridge, Bensonhurst, Diker Heights, neighborhoods like that. Okay, unfortunately, we're running short on time, so I want to ask you one last question. If you had a message that you want to get out to the voters of New York City and to the people in the rest of the country that want to know what is Max Rose about, what would that message be? Uh, Sure. In in short, uh, Max Rose is is a candidate and a future elected official who you can trust. Uh, The things that I talk about, I'm not only going to work my heart out for them down in Washington, D.C., but uh, I'm certainly never going to get bought off by uh, corporate interests and special interests and uh, to dedicate the rest of my life to public service and to trying to fix these problems that have been staring us in the face for far too long and that both political parties have failed to, um, to truly address. All right, all right. Max Rose, Congress congressional candidate for New York's 11th District. Thank you so, so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much again for everything you do, and thank you for your time. Well, thank you for your time. You're listening to The Morning Briefing. We shall return right after this. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.